Hello and welcome to the 361 Degrees podcast. This is season four, episode eight. My name's Ben Smith from Wireless Worker. I'm Ray Blanford from the All About Sites. I'm Ewan from Mobile Industry Review. Happy Christmas, gentlemen. Happy Christmas. We've had already had a bit of a pre-Christmas break, but we're back now. Uh, and now we're going to have one episode and then a bit of a holiday and then we'll come back in the new year and, and we have actually a, a, a mini a mini mission, a secret mission early in January. So we'll come back perhaps with a special feature about that. But mm. um, are, you, are, you, are you feeling festive yet? No. Come on, Blanford. Blanford, have you got your uh, little hat on? No, I'm feeling very bar humbug at the moment. I did, did put up some Christmas lights at the weekend, so I'm not feeling entirely miserable about Christmas, but uh, give me another 10 days and I'll feel a lot happier about the whole thing. Have you got any tinsel around your monitor? Uh, no. Well, you see, Black Blanford's just a bit antsy because he has to help Santa deliver all those presents this time of year. Silence. I thought we weren't going to talk about my secret identity. Secret <laughs> identity. There you go. So there's only so many festive short gags you can get into a show. So... <laughs> Is Blanford's not short? No, that's it. What, what's, what's, what's Rafe short for? It's because he's got little legs. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, anyways. Um, you. You're not it, being it, very nice, Ben. No, I, I, well... I, we're going to get letters. I, <laughs> another angry letter written in, written in blood that looks suspiciously like Rafe's. Uh, so, well, and that was a good link, Rafe. Well done. Uh, ever, prof- ever professional, despite my amateurism. Um, so, in the spirit of Christmas this week, we are drawing up our Santa's list of naughty and nice for 2012 and, and looking forward to 2013. Uh, the good and the bad of the mobile industry, and we've got a bit of a list. So mm-hmm. um, let's have at it then. Let's let's see who's getting coal in their stocking and, and who Santa is bringing copious presents to. So um, you and McLeod, uh, go on. You can go first, and let's have your let's have your nice first. Who's been good? And bear in mind that I. We, we, Rafe and I reserve the right to disagree with you and try and talk your people off the the nice list. Right. Okay. Well, my first one is Snapchat. This is on my nice list. Have you come across Snapchat, gentlemen? No. It clearly it can't be nice because I haven't even heard of it. So, right, that's it. Scratch. You're not doing very well so far. Blanford. Well, I know it's something to do with messaging and photos, but I haven't really gone into it in any detail. Have I not chatted you about this? Doesn't something to do with messaging and photos pretty much cover the whole of the internet, though? Yes, right. Now, look, let me just talk to you about Snapchat. This is where you uh, you sext, right? It's, Hang it's on for sexting. Hang on, what's that, Ewan? <laughs> danger, danger, Will Robinson. Explain to me briefly what that is, because it sounds are you, dodgy. Are you serious? You explain to me what sexting means. Do you gentlemen not know what that is? Well, it's more I actually want to hear how you're going to explain it in a non-dirty way on a podcast with an iTunes clean tag. Yes, that that's what I want. Yeah, I want to hear that. I was I was hoping we could try and convince Ben to put in some bleeping, but okay, <laughs> it's fine. So basically, what Snapchat allows you to do is you have to be registered for it. You uh, both of you are on Snapchat, so I can send uh, a picture, a dodgy picture, ideally. I think is the the concept with Snapchat, and send it to your to some to a probably someone of the opposite or same sex, depending on your perspective. They then receive the photo, and they have a predefined amount of time to view that photo, um, and then it self-destructs. It's completely deleted from the Snapchat system, and you can't do anything with it. The idea being that you can't save the photo. 
you can, theoretically speaking, you can take a picture of it from it with another phone. But generally speaking, the teenagers, particularly in the States, are loving this thing. So I have, yes, I have two questions. Mm-hmm. First one, why? And the second oh, one, on. how can you be sure they're not saving these? This seems like uh, a brilliant scheme to get pic- to get teenagers to send dodgy pictures of themselves, which you then sell. <laughs> Not to mention the screenshot functionality. Uh, exactly. Right. No, it basically, apparently, I haven't tried this. I should hasten to add, because uh, my wife might be listening. Um, <laughs> I generally, I, I don't have an account. Okay, I should point that out. Right. So, but I, in the interest of... Um, objectivity we should probably all go and get one so we understand how this thing works um but basically the 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 idea is you you take your photo you send it and then it will apparently alert you if someone tries to take a screenshot not sure how but then the one i was uh, i was looking at this is why we should actually download it and and play with it because apparently you can only see the image if you touch it if you if if your image if your hand is on the the phone the moment you let your hand off then the the image disappears so the idea being to try and make it difficult for you to actually take a screenshot off it so that it, it's complicated, yes. But it gets it, I mean, you and I. We know how to do that. I mean, frankly, just use a second phone. You've got your, you got a picture. Um, but it's quite been interesting watching all these different sites, including Forbes, by the way, talking about sexting and the um, the growth of Snapchat, which is going great guns. So much so that r- the rumors are Facebook will be launching a an equivalent shortly. This surely isn't a, an early April hoax. No, no, this is a real thing. And uh, the fact that you guys don't know about it indicates how out of touch and not cool you are. <laughs> well, in, in that vein, and very quickly, I went to a meeting the other week where uh, the topic of the meeting was how to engage more young people in the IT industry. And I arrived late and was immediately asked for my opinion. And I launched into what I thought was a very eloquent speech about how to, you know, help people get into the IT industry and make it exciting for them. At which point, one of the other speakers in the room said, yes, well, I think all us old people have said enough. Now we should should ask the young people. And I was just gobsmacked. I genuinely, I genuinely had been arrived into the meeting thinking that I had been invited as one of the young people whose opinion was being sought. (laughs) But it wasn't. Oh, dear. Blamford's a young one, though. Well, young, well, maybe, maybe physically. I, I always think it was Rafe was the only grown-up amongst us, to be honest. But um, yeah, well, well, talking of being grown-up about it, I actually think the idea of this, um, just going to mangle the name because I've managed to forget what it is already, Snapchat. Snapchat. It's yeah. quite an interesting perspective on how you think about digital content or maybe photos more generally. If you think about the value that photos used to have, you know, they were sort of treasured items that got passed down the generations and now they're being destroyed 30 seconds after you look at them for the first time. Mm. But um, more importantly, it's kind of this idea of digital content being created all the time that you know has a shelf life and then disappears and never to be seen again. It's kind of a little bit like Twitter in a way, where although theoretically it's archived, and you, can get to, you know, once a tweet's a couple of days old, it's basically gone, unless it happens to be a very famous tweet that gets retweeted hundreds of times. It does seem that more and more digital content is, is getting that way in. There's something slightly upsetting about it in the sense that, you know, there's often quite a bit of value in there that just uh, disappears. And so this Snapchat thing, I mean, I I get the idea about it being for sensitive photos, but um, also it just makes me me think about the way that digital content is being valued and how that's changing. It's all tied up with, of course, subscription services as well, when you're consuming music or video or whatever else. And it's quite a fundamental shift. I wonder whether... We really see the full implications of stuff like that. 
I don't know. I, I I appreciate the cleverness, but it just strikes me as a bit creepy. I mean, even creepy. Even, oh, no, you no, are well old. Even well even old. even if you accept that fifty it, million photos a day, exactly. Get real. Exactly, but that's cool. If it was fifty, if it was teenagers sending fifty million pictures of the day to each other because they wanted to, I'd say fine. You do what you like. You're teenagers. You're having a great time. Enjoy yourselves. But somewhere there is an old, fat, balding man who put some venture capital into this, getting rich from teenagers sending pictures of you know naked pictures to each other. And it's not the act of sending. What's the wrong picture. with that? Well, it's not the act of sending the pictures that really bothers me. It's the sense that someone is trying to you know. It's, isn't it a bit creepy trying to make money out of, you know, sort of exploiting teenagers, you know, sort of, um, you know, finding out who they are. You don't have to be a teenager and, to use it, by the way. Well, but I mean, the, the way you were describing it, it was sort of, it was pop youngsters. youngsters. Youngsters, yeah. Perhaps, yeah. you know, people who are sort of, you know, sort of maybe, you know, find, discovering who they are and... Uh, and having sort of fun. Having fun, yeah. yeah. I don't know, but I... I, oh, Rafe, Rafe's exploded. He's so outraged. But I, I don't know. I, it just sounds a bit weird because... I'm all for I'm all for innovation, but I think sometimes you just like stand back and say, really, is this how we want to make money? Just because we can technically do it, I don't know. The business part of that sounds a bit dodgy. I don't know if it's making money yet, but I think mm. the idea is to try and flog it to Facebook or somebody uh, else. Excellent. Well, they'll be rather annoyed if um, if Facebook brings their own one out. But then there's Yahoo now, right? Yahoo's back. That can only end well then if we're flogging it to one of those large sites that respect privacy so much. What's this? All my photos are definitely deleted after 30 seconds, are they? Excellent. Well, have, have another picture of my backside then. <laughs> right. Um, Rafe Blanford, let's move on. Um, well, we've done uh, we've done Ewan's nice. Who's on your naughty list for Santa this year? Well, this is from the last week where Google announced that they were shutting down Exchange ActiveSync as a, a protocol on their services. Uh, it really affects the calendar and the content services more than uh, Gmail itself because Gmail is still available via IMAP. And there are all sorts of caveats around this um, about it's not for existing units, it only applies to new connections. It doesn't apply to Google apps for business, education, government, etc. But I thought it was interesting because it was sort of portrayed as being part of Google's regular so spring cleaning, or in this case, winter cleaning of services that aren't being used by anyone. And, aren't of any real value and they've done that to you know a lot of other of their kind of experimental services and quite rightly so you know why keep something going if it's basically dead but this struck me as one that was um a little bit more controversial because i've got to imagine there are quite a few people using this um now it's being replaced by a couple of other open source standards caldav and carddev um which are used on android and iphone and then there's obviously gmail apps on iphone as well and on the android platform but particularly for some of the other platforms so blackberry uh, symbian windows phone could potentially be quite um, badly affected by this if you're a, a gmail user and you're syncing your contacts and your calendar using the exchange active sync protocol now before anyone gets too worked up about this i think google's got every right to do this and actually from a strategic point of sense it probably makes sense for them to do so when you're talking about ecosystem wars but it does strike me as something rather hostile to consumers which is why google have gone on my naughty list for this one because um, it's just inconvenient to have to change something if you're using it now of course you know Google are paying presumably some kind of per user license for exchange action. Actually, we don't know. It hasn't been publicly disclosed. But they also um, gave a cutoff period of, I think it's the 30th of January next year, which 45 days isn't very long if you want to switch over mm. to something else um, or you, know, you need to prepare for this. So it kind of leaves some of the other 
operating system providers, I think probably Microsoft being most badly affected by this because it also applies, of course, to their Windows 8 and Windows RT uh, platforms. You know, to actually prepare something. Um, well, that's email. fine because they, they can just pop around both customers' houses and switch them out for something else, can't yeah, they? Yeah, I, 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 I was just, just waiting for that, Ben. Thank you very much for being so predictable. Um, <laughs> it's, it's only the cost yeah. of two taxi fares, isn't it? <laughs> and yeah, it's a fair point in the sense that Google aren't obliged to you know, continue supporting this by, by any means. But I, I just, it struck me as surprising that um, Google, who surprised themselves on being relatively friendly to customers, do something like this, which is going to be, you know, somewhat of a major inconvenience. And this is kind of, I guess, a casualty of the ecosystem war that we spend so much mm-hmm. talking about on on the podcast. And so for, for that reason, they kind of go onto my, my naughty list. Um, it's difficult, really, to judge the full impact of this, because, I mean, I don't know how many people do use Google Calendar and Contacts, you know, on their smartphone and sync it and aren't on Android and iPhone to whatever. Because obviously Gmail's pretty popular. It's, what, 450 million-odd active users, probably the number one webmail, or if it's not, it's very close to Hotmail, which I believe is the number two or the number one, depending on which statistics you believe. I looked these up before the podcast, and it was uh, Comscore saying one thing. research, shocker. Yeah, and Google saying something else. Um, but of course, a lot of those people using Gmail have got an account because they've got a Google account in general, and won't necessarily be syncing that information back to um, back to the, the the phone. So I was kind of interested. What what are you actually using as your kind of calendar and contact provider, chaps? Well, I, I've got an I've got a Google Apps account, so I am using um, I am using Active uh, Sync at the moment, but. I've, I'm on iPhone and Android, so it, it'll be a two-minute process to switch over. Well, I won't need to, actually, because yeah, uh, it'll, st- be it'll still be available. But even if I needed to, I probably will, actually, just to, to change over to the more modern protocol. But Because um, apparently there's um, improved battery life and things that come with the, the newer implementations, although I don't know if that's... that's yeah, see, that, that was the other thing that caught my attention. I, again, sort of looked up on this there isn't really any evidence to, to, to support this and actually one of the reasons it might have better battery life is because the protocol itself doesn't really support push for card dove and cow dove you actually have to do a specific uh, connection okay. and to me that's actually you know you're going to end up with something that's not as good as that which went before and you know i, I get all the the deal about wanting to support open source standards but i can't help but feel that google uses that kind of rationale or that strategy when it wants to disrupt a market and it's quite happy with you know closed standards or something a little more held close to its chest when it's kind of in a a dominant position and i mean search is probably the best example of that and it kind of used this open source standards as a stick to beat some of its competitors with Um, and so this kind of knee-jerk assumption sometimes in the media that uh, proprietary is bad isn't always the case um because you know you can be proprietary and still be a an open standard you know with technical documentation telling you how to implement it you just have to pay a license fee in fact there's an awful lot of stuff like that and google themselves you know kind of do some of that stuff with the video codex especially after the motorola acquisition well let me just say that i use google apps and uh i'm quite content with it you know it just works um i did try looking at office 365 could be persuaded again to look at it. That was a train wreck, wasn't it? Oh, uh, was it? I tell you, it was perfectly fine. The only problem was, it said you get Office free. I was like, you know, it's, I think it was a tenner a month or fifteen quid a month, but you get Office with it, or something like that, right? You get Office with. That was on the PC version. 
because I thought it was quite an effective way of having the full suite of offers, um, as well as having the the email and calendaring, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, I did like the idea of that, but when the, it didn't make it very clear um, that if you want the Mac version, you've got to go and buy it. I thought, which I, I already owned it, but it's just for upgrades anyway. I, I, I thought Google Apps was awkward to configure as a you know when you're when you're setting up lots of different users. Never mind. I mean, I suppose it's just a different type of complicated. But yeah, it's, it's a, I, I didn't think pain. much. Of, I gave up on it. But uh, hey, Blandford, I'm with you there on because Google a little while ago switched off their um, their BlackBerry app, um, which which was really really useful, um, and yeah, I think that was just you know, taking the carp out of uh, on the BlackBerry. There's a lot of users were using the the, the Google or the Gmail app on BlackBerry, which was an incredibly efficient way of interacting with your email. It's annoying this, yeah, to Doesn't off. this just mean that I mean I I'm not going to be impacted, so I suppose I'm dispassionate but viewer, but doesn't this just mean that Google are gonna stop subsidizing other people's rubbish implementations? Because the fact that um the fact that Windows Phone, for example, um, you know, relies on active uh, active sync and you know to, to provide all this syncing as the only way when when it's Microsoft's own protocol, you know, seems a bit presumptuous. And I mean the reason that even when I had a BlackBerry, I used the the Gmail app was because BlackBerry's own um, exactly sync was so so terrible. I mean, kind of the kind of terrible that I could never quite believe it actually got launched. It was so horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it kind of Google are going to stop doing other people's work for them. I mean, fair play to them, isn't it? I yeah, think there well, is an I'm, element of that. Yeah, yeah as I say, I, I don't think uh, they. If there's any problem. They've got the right to do it. And I think from a strategic point, it's the right thing to do. It doesn't stop it being inconvenient, and it kind of. Uh, is distressing in a more general sense because you know this is encouraging I, I would say sort of lockdown into a specific ecosystem and I'm always in favor of things that keep these ecosystems as open as possible and you know the the, the trouble is with this you then get into a, a tit for tat and potentially that could get you know quite serious because there are Microsoft technologies which are pretty central in terms of maybe office documents and stuff like that. Now, how able they are to actually have a real impact on Android or iOS. But, you know, it's not all that different to what kind of um, Apple decided to do with Maps themselves. You know, they switched off Google Maps, annoying a lot of people. Of course, Google have come along and created their own solution. And, you know, there's nothing to stop, as you say, BlackBerry or Microsoft or whoever it happens to be you know, interacting with these new uh, Google standards. Well, they're not Google standards, they're open source standards. Uh, but the idea that sort of Microsoft is obliged to implement the open source standards, well, they're being forced to do so because Google is an important enough player. So, you know, it's almost that Google has the scale to start you know, playing in a disruptive way like this. Um, in one sense, you might say it's just as us because Microsoft has certainly done it enough over the years. But it is a contrast from this idea of Google Google as the kind of, you know, the good guy, the don't be evil, which, I mean, I've always been very cynical about. But uh, it, um, it it, it's me... coming out a bit more obviously now because this, this competition is hotting up and anything that kind of entrenches you within an ecosystem is only going to be bad for users in the long run because it makes switching more difficult. Makes me think, actually, I might just bring my um, bring my business to some third independent third party who provides all the interfaces, you know, or makes me pay for them. So, That's a good job. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, my uh, what am I going to do? Yeah, you're I'm, nice. I'm going to do my nice one. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, actually, well, I'm, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to combine my naughty and my nice. Oh. We're, we're, well, we're, we're running out of time, so I'm going to combine them. So, on my nice side, I'm going to have high-speed 3G data, proper high-speed 3G data. And on my nasty side, I'm going to have silly, overpriced, 
uh, taking advantage for due data. Here we go. All right, and so let me let get him off his pedal. Yeah, <laughs> bring me my soapbox. <laughs> so um, right now, and I, I'm I'm no particular fan of threes. I like I like their products, but I I don't hold a candle for them as a firm particularly. But right now, they're rolling out in in the UK um, what's called dual channel HSDPA. The technology doesn't matter. What it means is that you can get about 30 megabit speed down where it's rolled out. And it's rolling out you know, nationally at a pace and it's already available in loads and loads of places. And you pay for that the same rate that you pay for norm, for all your other 3G data. And if you're on a handset, you can get it unlimited. And I think that that's a good thing because as I've written about recently, and I won't bang on about it now, I think billing people for data by the megabyte or by chunks of megabytes is still ludicrous because consumers have no way, their speeds increase, consumers have no way to, to meaningfully control it. So I think that's brilliant. That's about people making the best of the infrastructure you've got already, delivering amazing speeds. And on the other hand, you've got EE in the UK, but I mean, there's 4G networks all over the place launched, which are delivering speeds that are fractionally, fractionally faster, fractionally faster than that and charging premiums and making a big deal out of this you know, extra technology, which frankly, A, confuses customers because you can't really see the join, frankly, and, and B, there's no need to demand that premium because actually most of the time that you're on a 4G network paying 4G prices, you'll be working at 3G speeds anyway because you won't actually be on a 4G network. So all it is is a way to rip you off on the off chance that you'll you'll occasionally pick up a bit of 4G data and it'll occasionally oh, be quicker. Dear me. So hooray, hooray to the people making sensible, consumer-friendly products you can understand and afford to buy to the people who are trying to confuse and baffle customers with uh, you know lots of technical talk which actually doesn't really deliver anything valuable to them rubbish absolute <laughs> absolute total hogwash right you know, you've got a minute to, to, to debunk my theory and then we're going to move on well okay but that, this is one of my nice things it is EE they sent me a, a, this this Huawei uh, E589 mobile Wi-Fi thing, and it's simply genius. It's it's quite big. The battery's fantastic. I haven't actually used it up yet. Uh, I did five hours yesterday, and that was down to about forty percent. So five hours hours continuously. Um, it's uh, Huawei, Huawei make nice Wi-Fi's. They have that. They, yeah, so the device is great. Wi-Fi's. They have done for ages. This let me tell you EE, about. Though, is it? Let me tell you about the EE network in oh, Richmond. Do you have to? Right, and in central London, which is simply rocking. Absolutely. It really is very cool. Now, that might be because there's not that many people using it at the minute. <laughs> it's because they can't afford to. Uh, wait, hold on a minute. There's plenty of people listening, right, that are quite happy to pay for quality. And you know what? It's really good. I've done some videos. I'll publish them shortly. You'll see. Yeah, you know, is. I'm holding it in my hand. I'm waving it around. It is really flipping cool. It's twenty five ninety nine a month on an How 18 much? month. Twenty-five ninety-nine a month for the for, the MiFi unit. For you how can much? put twelve on it. That gives you eight gig a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go on. And it's chucking that. Now I don't care about the fifteen gig twenty. Uh, sorry, fifteen twenty twenty meg or thirty meg speed. I don't care about the Mbps. I want to know how quickly, how many megabytes, typically speaking, does iTunes download. To my computer or to my phone. That's what I care about, the actual throughput. And I use iTunes as a good barometer because you know, they have uh, Apple have spent a lot of money on their data center in the UK, so it's good quality. And this thing was sending down three or four megabytes 
a second, and that was just wonderful. It was really fast, really joyous to use uh, on the laptop, and and I just put all of my iPhones on it. It was brilliant. I just I just think that I don't see the advantage because you are you getting four G are you getting four G in uh, in in your office? Uh, yeah. Actually, inside. Inside, yeah, totally, yeah. It's, it's my desk because coverage, coverage is coverage is pretty spotty. But uh, for... no, listen, in London, I've I've had four G everywhere. Oh, now that's a hell of a statement because I. Don't okay, have, that, that's I've because I've only been in four or five main places. Because <laughs> I've only been I, in as far as I'm concerned, I've, I've had it everywhere directly underneath their cell towers. <laughs> but, and and in Richmond, it's been great. No, yeah, it's irrelevant yeah. to you if you're not in a you, um, a zone. But, but, but the three G's been for fine. For a normal customer, you could go and you could buy. Double, you could get. I mean, and again, I I suggest three as the operator that does fantastic data bundles. But you know, there are other other operators are available. If the, you're a I'm normal sure customer, go home. That's perfectly well. fine, Smith. Um, you could go and get double the data allowance f- with a, with a similarly you know good good device um, for for slightly less every month. Uh, and and in peak areas, you could get speeds that are comparable in real world usage. This is a I'm ridiculous, sure ridiculous you know, in, in absolutely peak conditions, the EE will will um, beat it will definitely. Be, will be faster, but then you've only got eight gig anyway, which you'll burn through in about twenty minutes if you're working at you know tens. Of, if you're working on thirty or forty megabits a second down, so I just. I just don't see why it's a compelling consumer product. You know you're ben, very I think, unlikely to get the four. Let me ask you and this: when you here, do, Smith. you're very likely to run out of data and and have a problem. I am surprised that you, who's meant to be um, encouraging this level of you know innovation, new stuff, um, are reacting in this way. Why don't oh, we well, all? I, I think the government. I love four G. Think, come on, think fast wait a minute. Data is take a step back. I just take think a step it's sold terribly. Take a step back, Smith, and let's just take a comparison here and just say there is no need for us all to have different types of car. What the government should do is provide a state car, a state-sponsored vehicle for two people, and that's perfectly fine. That will get you from A to B. But no, what do you have, Mr. Smith? What brand of car do you have? Why have you not bought the shittest one? But this is where your argument falls down because th- it's entirely my point is that if I, I've, cho- I've chosen to buy a, a premium brand car... And yeah. Again, when we always go about cars, I think people well, because we're they're trying to. Yeah, I've chosen to buy. I've chosen to buy an expensive German brand car because yeah. it's good all the time. It's very reliable. It's very consistent. And for and for me, that premium experience is the fact that it, it you know it's very well held together. It doesn't you know break down all that kind of stuff. And so that's my point is I would rather pay a fair price for a consistent product which is getting incrementally better all over the place rather than sounds like you. All my, Rather than rather than blow a, a huge amount of money on very occasionally being quite flash and most of the time having a worse experience, because if you go out of one of those sixteen cities where the four G is spotty, then basically you've got the same product as me, but half you can only use it half as much. I, oh dear, I don't think there's any. Rafe, listen, Rafe listen, there's, brief there is no arguing before we move on, and I'm declared right. I think you're both right, and you're both wrong. <laughs> You mean, I'm, to, I'm to give right. a total cop-out answer. That's very uh, cop-out, Blanford. Uh, I think there are plenty of things that EE <sighs> have, have got wrong with this right. launch. And I, for most of for most of it, it comes down to the fact they wanted to be the first to launch and have an advantage over their competitors um, when they got the regulatory approval. Uh, it might have been a good idea if it had been a, had a slightly more mature network, something that was working a little bit better, and particularly the provisioning of customer accounts that you know all working properly before they went live 
Um, but, you know, 4G data in general is a good idea. But as with any of these kind of step ups in kind of innovation or technology, the boundary period between the two, uh, I think for the vast majority of people, you're probably better off using, you know, kind of the top end of the old technology and letting the new technology mature a bit before uh, jumping in, unless you've got a very good reason, good reason to do so, which is why something like, uh, you know, 3's implementation of dual carrier HSDPA results in performance that is very similar to what you'll get in real world 4G at the moment. Um, move on 12 months, 24 months, and it will be a very different story. There you go. Breaking news in the future. Things Put that will, in your pipe think, and smoke it. Things will be different in the future. You heard it here from Rafe Blanford first. So, Mark, Are we getting on to naughty yet, then? Don't you? Uh, okay, <laughs> you, so uh, what's your naughty? Apple. Apple. Excellent. Move on. Next, move on. Right, it's the maps, the flipping maps. Rubbish, absolute flipping rubbish. I'm delighted that Google Maps is now available on the phone. That's fixed my iPhone. I just want to rub it in the face of Apple. Um, has, it, also, has it fixed your iPhone though? Because I don't know about you, but all of my all of the apps that I have that use the native mapping service still have broken maps in them. Yes, but uh, Google has thankfully um, done their API thingy, so developers can start popping up Google Maps rather than, um, than Apple's rubbish. And I think that's going to have some real uh, um, ramifications for Apple. I wonder if they'll try and ban that or prevent that from happening. In other news with Apple, um, in naughty news, and that's not necessarily a problem, but did you see today or yesterday they had to actually release a defensive press statement um, because everyone's going, oh, not many iPhones sold in China, not many iPhone 5s, and Apple's having to say, well, hold on a minute, um, let's just be clear. We sold 2 million iPhone 5s over three days. And the market is effectively still standing there with its arms crossed going, mm-hmm, yeah. Which is yeah, it's an amazing feat, by the way. But the market isn't impressed. And the share price is tanking in the context of Apple. You know, but uh, one new story I saw today said $19 billion uh, down. This is a, an interesting time for Apple. Can they do any right? It's... Um it, the problem is that they've now they've now reached such a peak of expectations yeah. in every single regard that even even moderate failures are are significant. Well, I mean, it wasn't even a failure. Like two million. Two, I mean, any handset manufacturer would love oh, yeah. to sell two million in three days in China. Well, I know. I was thinking about, for example, okay, Maps was a real disaster, oh, yeah. and we don't know about. I think it's for me, it's too early to call on on China. I think that. There could be other, plenty of reasons why they've only sold two million. Not mm. least the fact that when they first started selling iPhone devices, they had, um, you know, a scrum, a scrum in the store in which people, I think, actually were seriously injured or possibly even killed. So I can imagine they're a bit reticent about, you know, sort of, you know, having mass mass brawls for people to get these devices. Uh, you know, when when a bit of hysteria takes over. But even just look at their web services and things. There's there's mm. increasingly their their weak points are showing because. Everything scales up. It's small things, when it's multiplied up by billions of dollars, become you know ma- huge in people's minds. So, yeah, I think they've they've got a really hard job on because effectively they've stopped being they've stopped being the the pacemaker now, haven't they? And they're just yeah. so far out ahead in certain areas that you know they 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 they're always going to have a bit of a challenge. I mean, the thing about the the share price, it's always looking ahead with performance generally, and it does feel like Apple are. Uh, uh, at the top of the curve and you know actually that's a reflection of how well they've done in you know the last three or four years in particular but the threat from android and others is you know becoming i think more acute now and it's more more a case of not 
so much that Apple has done badly is the others have you know caught up a, uh, to a large extent. Um, but also partly it's this sort of the share price performance being dictated by you know events uh, and wiping off massive amounts of value that are disproportionate to you know, the actual performance of the event in particular. Um, I mean, to, to look at the opposite end, um, Nokia's share price has been doing interesting things. If you look at uh, over, they the still last, have one. <laughs> they they do, but oh, it's up nice. up forty percent in the last month, and this is after kind of a, a positive Windows Phone launch and some getting some handsets into China, for example. So, what um, is it now? Fifty p, sixty p. I think it's about the three euro mark, if I recall correctly, oh, yeah. which is a, a far cry, of course, from when it where, where it was, and it's still down. I think about. 20% or so on a year ago but there's just the kind of the first suggestions of a, a sign of recovery and um, you know the stock market being a little more bullish about it where it's been quite you know bearish really on Apple um, and honestly I think it's too early to tell for either of those actually and for once McLeod I agree with you on the Apple thing I, mm. I, I, I love I love their products and I think I'll probably keep buying them because they they work well for me but um, be, being a you know, being professionally a firm that develops apps for um, for iPhone, amongst others, they aren't half jerks when you have a problem. You know, it's just the App Store approval process, the rules, the you know, these sorts of things. I mean, there's plenty of reasons to complain about them, but the, the biggest problem is not the rules or the fact that they change them from time to time. It's just their attitude about when they do it. You know, you try and get some help or some clarification. I mean, it's just amazing. We, we, we've had no end of problems about even being held to rules that no one even knew existed aren't written down and couldn't be applied in our geography because the things that we were expected to do hadn't been launched and and i can you know bang on about that you know ad nauseum but it's just ridiculous and and you know sort of they they make a lot of money off the app ecosystem but they seem to have forgotten that in order to have an app ecosystem they need developers to be their part of it and you know did they tell you you're holding it wrong (laughs) <laughs> they, they very nearly did and certainly I, I very nearly told them where to stick their apps it was it was really frustrating because the point is that you you kind of you apple is completely dominant and, and you're under no illusions that they you know we need them way more than they need us but they don't have to be dicks about it you know <laughs> and that was very much the the sense of, of trying to get any help whatsoever it was very frustrating can you say that by the way ah uh, that's can you say person. richards that is my personal opinion so, yes. No, 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 no. But can you say that on our podcast? I think so. Yes. I, I think so. Rating? Yes. Are you going to no, get I, emails from somebody? Probably angry, angry emails. If I've offended you, then tough. Get lost. It's Christmas. I'm allowed to say what I like. I've had some eggnog. Right, Rafe Blanford. Um, nice. What's your nice? Well, those two things Nokia. I wanted to talk about. And no, it's nothing to do with, with Nokia. Well, one isn't anyway. No, it's uh, about T-Mobile in the US. They've just had their kind of announcing some strategy for the next year. And one of the things they've said, they're no longer going to sell handsets um, or subsidize handsets in, in the US. And instead, they're going to encourage people to bring their own handset with them uh, to buy it up front or to have the kind of the cost of the handset subsidy, i.e. kind of, you know, buy it in chunks, but have it uh, called out separately on the bill rather than sort of all integrated into one kind of lump sum payment. Um I guess it's the equivalent of the rise of, 
you know, SIM-only contracts in the rest of the world. Um, but I kind of like the idea of having the cost of the, the subsidy dis- divorced from the cost of the service um, because I think it's a more honest way of selling the handset. Now, um, I have my doubts about whether this is going to work, but I think T-Mobile do deserve a little bit of credit for at least trying. And um, in all fairness, they're probably trying this because they're the number four operator in the US and uh, might as well try something else because their previous strategy certainly wasn't working from a growth point of view. But just um, with that, without thinking of my commercial, and business hat on it just seems like a better way to sell this because it's clear to consumers what you're paying for and what you're getting okay because i was i was, I was going to say why but so you, your whole argument here is that when it's all smushed in you can be ripped off without realizing it because yeah, i mean for, for, example, for example you know you've got your two-year contract and then you get to the end of the two years, and really, you should upgrade your handset as soon as you can in order to maximise your value. But most people don't. You know, they let it. Oh, that really for annoys a me. Of months, and that sort of value being flushed away. And frankly, it's putting money in the operators' pockets for not really doing anything. Of course, they're, mm. they're counting on that. That's where some of their margins come from. Uh, but for consumers, that's a pretty raw deal. I um I, I still I actually quite like the idea of still renting handsets, which I suppose is kind of the opposite extreme, which is doing away with the the ownership piece completely and just making yeah. everything a service um, I, i'm yeah. very tempted to to give that a crack in the you know future. vodafone do that now uh, vodafone do it and i think yeah. two have been doing it vodafone for a while it, yeah. as well don't they although so be... if i'd known vodafone they did it the week out uh, no the month after i took out a 12-month contract so I'll, uh, i'm going to do it next time there we go well that actually brings me on to my other my other naughty i'm going to slip in with my my other naughty before we wrap this up um Vodafone Sure Signal. Got it. What, what is that, by the way, for those uh, listening? Okay, so um, it, it's a femto cell. If you don't know what a femto cell is, I live in a place with no Vodafone signal. I've just moved in, and I can buy a little gizmo that plugs into my broadband, and it broadcasts a 3G signal that I can use to make calls or data, and that all gets bundled up over my broadband and sent back to Vodafone and... Uh, it's effectively it's like a little cell tower so that I now get signal in my house so yeah. I can set all my, my phones up to work with. It's private for me. you know. I can choose which phones use it. Sounds like a brilliant idea, doesn't it? Sounds like the kind of thing you'd just be itching to spend £100 on. Yep. Yes, you didn't spend money on it, did you? I spent 100 of my own pounds. Look, everyone in the industry knows you phone Vodafone, you say, oh, I haven't got any signal. And then they go, oh, would you like a free or you know five quid a month for 12 months? There, there, sure are, there are there are reasons why I can't do that, but they're mostly involved in the fact that I'm not a I'm not a vote of personal Vodafone customer. What? I'm a I'm a corporate customer. I'm sorry. When I ring up and say I'm leaving, and they say, "Really, you're taking your three thousand friends with you?" I go, "No, we're not switching. I'm sorry. It's just me." So, it, but I, I decided that I was going to go out and buy this because even if even if like me, you you don't have you don't own the account and you get given your phone by work, you can still buy these devices. And I needed right. it because it was making my life easier, or at least it was until I tr- plugged it in and tried to make it work. Is and this then, this little plug thingy that you oh, put? Yes, and I'm going to I'm going to blog this. But basically, then I turned it on and nothing happened. And I went to the forums. And I just should have known. I went into the Sure Signal forum, and there's just thousands and thousands of posts about, oh, have you changed this setting? And have you, have you updated your router? In that voice. In that precise voice. And then, oh, did you not know that the packet size, if you use, and then basically the, the, the rule here is if you have in the UK, because this, this Femtocell only works in the UK, although 
the people who make this product do sell it to other places in other markets, so, but this restriction might not apply. But if you're on old-style ADSL over copper wire broadband and you still use the rubbish um, router that you know your ISP sent you, it's probably worth about £4 or something like that, then you're fine. It will probably all work. But if you have other equipment on your network or you've made configuration changes, um, perhaps to allow a games console to do um, online gaming, or if, like me, you've switched over to... Um, an Apple router so that you can use back to your Mac or one of those kind of cloud features, basically your toast, give up. There's about a thousand reasons why it won't work. And all of the things that absolutely need to be in place for it to work, they're not written down anywhere. You can't know those before you spend your money. You just have to find out afterwards. Oh no, of course it would never work with that router. Why on earth did you buy that? Well, sorry, because I didn't spend nine hours trawling through your forums to find out on post 300 of a 700 chain that, you know, the oh, it didn't work with that particular router firmware. Oh, so I'm, I'm cross because it's a brilliant idea. And the problem is, actually, I have some sympathy for Vodafone because it's probably really hard to make these things work with everyone's home Wi-Fi and broadband because there's so many settings and so many bits of gear out there. I mean, you know, my heart goes out to you guys, which is why you should write on the box, this has been tested to work with these products. If you have this, it will work. If you don't, don't buy this. Because it works oh, fine here and it's fantastic. Does it? No. So, are you using, what, 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 just out of interest, what, what router do you use on your home broadband? Uh, it's one of the Netgear ones. Uh, I think it's a GG834G version <laughs> 3. Oh, my God. Really? What, what firmware have you got, You've got dangerously close to doing the voice. <laughs> <laughs> and it, to well, be fair, it's the old star one, so it's uh, version 2 of the Fento yeah. um, uh, oh And, you know, God. honestly, I got it for the same reasons that Ben did. No Vodafone signal. Um, and it does have a tendency to fall over sometimes, which can be a bit irritating when you're trying to make a call or you're expecting a call. Um, so it is a, a secondary line for me. If it was my primary line, I suspect I'd be um, being a little more Ben-like and sort of imitating the Hulk. It, it drives drives me mad. And I, I, again, I say again, I don't mind that it doesn't work with every bit of kit, but there are people on the forum saying, I've just been upgraded to fibre and now you know, my super fast connection doesn't work with my sure signal. And then there's a detailed explanation from one of the moderators about how the packet sizes and the routers. And, and, you know, I mean, if you're interested in that sort of thing, then you can work out why it doesn't work. But, you know, it should just say, only buy this if you've got, you know, standard broadband of this sort. Mm. But, I mean, great, great ideas done badly. And it's about helping customers buy this stuff. You know, it, it, again, it's like bleeding data. It's great ideas, but really not sold properly. And it's like that last little bit. It's just ruins the whole product. So I'm sorry, Vodafone, sure signal. If it's if, if it's going back to you or it's going in the bin, frankly, because basically I have to throw away all my home network to use it or make Vodafone calls. So I know what I'll be doing. We'll be just forwarding my Vodafone line to a net, local network that happens to have coverage. Oh, dear. There we go. So that's my naughty. So are we done, gentlemen? We are. Every, everyone done their nices? Everyone done their naughties? Mm-hmm. I've checked it twice. <laughs> You've checked it twice. And um, so now what's happening? Um, we're having a bit of a break over Christmas. Yes. 
Yes, we are. Yes, but we're going to wish everyone happy Christmas first, aren't we? Well, we are. Have a have a lovely Christmas, everyone, and thank you for all of your kind comments and apologies that we've been away for a little while. Uh, we were so exhausted having done the two live episodes that um, uh, we all had to have a bit of a rest, to be honest, and a few glasses of wine and a bit more of a rest. Other um, seasonal festivals are available. Indeed, in- indeed, and. And so we're going to have a bit of a break over the winter festival, and um, <laughs> uh, and um, we'll be back in the new year. We'll finish this season off, and then uh, we've great plans over Mobile World Congress, in February, oh, yeah. which we will fill you all in on. We've got some exciting interviews and things, and uh, the, the other thing, um, I've already got our next live event lined up, gents, which I haven't even told you about. But coming in Ooh. coming in July, friend of the show Dominic Travers has invited. Oh, us. I ignore this. Yes. Oh, well, great. Well, you mm-hmm. know then. But um, a friend of the show, Dominic Travers, has invited us to go and do a live event at one uh, a mobile event. He's um, he's producing, so we will be there live. Watch watch the internet for details. Mm. Okay. Well, thank you very much for listening. Um, I think it would be very interesting to hear your naughties and nices this year because there's nothing quite so emotive as people's individual stories. Who's really been exceptional for you? Who's irritated you? I think we should we'll collect these together and we might talk about them in the new year because for me it's always the little things. It's always the personal stories that actually really you know make a product or break it. It's not about the numbers of how many they've sold or you know the business model or something like that. So tell us your stories. Who's naughty? Who's nice who gets your prize who gets the coal in the stocking and we will recover them all again towards the end of season four next year thank you very much for listening thank you for all your support in 2012 and we will see you again in 2013